All right, well, today, second week of Advent, as we move through this season, uh, some people uh, have to, they just try to survive and get through the holidays. I read something funny about uh, working for the Postal Service or, or even UPS or something like that. Uh, you, you join because you start with the, it's like a reverse Christmas. You start loving Christmas at the beginning because you get to give all these presents, but you end up hating it at the end because towards the end of the month, it's just exhausting. Uh, whereas most people get, are excited about the season and they get all jazzed and, and uh, maybe they're stressed out at the beginning and then they get into it later on. But uh, as we're into this series of Noel, um, we're in Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, we'll be, there's a few verses we'll be bouncing around, but a good chunk of it's going to be between verses 1 and 8. And uh, it's a very unusual place to start for a sermon during the Advent season. I understand that. Um, our scripture today, again, is, to, is from the letter to the Hebrews. And go ahead and, and search for that if you haven't already. Find that in your Bible. Hebrews actually has caused a bit of a controversy, a commotion in the world of uh, Jeopardy. Yes, Jeopardy, the game show where they tell you the answer and you give them the question kind of a game show. It's all weird. But yeah, there was recently um, a tournament of champions that made the news uh, uh, because of this situation. The clue was Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotes. And contestants answered like this. Who are the Hebrews? Who are the Romans? And another person, I don't know if they were bad at spelling or if they just didn't know that the book was called Philippians, but that's what they meant to write. And uh, the accepted answer by the host and the judges panel was actually Hebrews. But if you've been with us when we have studied here at Baroque-Wanaz Hebrews, you would remember uh, that we actually discovered that most scholars today, and the article I read this from confirms this, Hence the controversy. Most scholars today don't actually believe Paul was the author of the book, the letter, of, the letter to the Hebrews. The letter itself never hints at the author or states it outright. In the past, it's just been attributed to Paul without the support of scholarly study. I liken it to um, when people believed that the book of Matthew was the first written gospel. But under further study and scrutiny, we're more convinced that it's actually the book of Mark is the historically oldest written gospel. All that little antidote, ant, ant, antidote, antidote? No, that's not how it's, anecdote, there. I don't use the word anecdote in my anecdotes. Um, was just to bring up the fact that the author of Hebrews is not named. We truly don't know who wrote it, but the letter clearly shows why he wrote it and to whom? He wrote it to Jewish, Corinthian, or Jewish Christians, and he wrote it to explain and teach things about Jesus. Not just for information's sake, but to strengthen and encourage the believers as they were facing persecution in tough times. They needed to know deep down in their very being, who is this Jesus anyway? Who is he really? Is he just a good teacher? Was he an angel or just a man who did nice things? Well, Christmas is all about celebrating Jesus. 
We, look at that, we looked at that last week when we sang happy birthday songs, and you missed my beautiful singing if you weren't here last week. Check that out online. Babies are great and all. We, have to, we, we, sell, we talked about new babies happening just a little bit ago, but babies are great, but why this one? Why him? Why celebrate him being born? Well, the book of Hebrews is going to set us right on this. It will point out the very omnipotent, very powerful nature of God and what he chose to do with that power in order to save the world. So the first thing that we want to look over at is a brief overview of Jesus' resume. Uh, anytime that you're hiring someone for a position, you want to look at their qualifications. Do they have experience in Microsoft Office? Can they run a pallet jack? Or in the case of Jesus, how powerful is he anyway? Romans 1, 1 through 6 Let's go ahead and look at that together. Rome, or, I said Romans, I meant Hebrews. Sorry, Hebrews 1, 1 through 6. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Verse 2 points out that Jesus, through Jesus, God made the universe. He made all of creation. Isn't that wild? Jesus is so powerful. This is such a great thing to have on a resume. He's so powerful it was through him that all existence was created. I mean, wow. But wait, there's more. Verse three says that creation is sustained by his word. Think about that. Sustained by his word. You could probably build or make something, right? You've probably made something before. Maybe a bookshelf, right? Uh, do you hold that bookshelf together and keep it existing by your very word? Nope. <laughs> And if we track even further back, you didn't even make the wood the bookshelf is made out of, nor mine the metals that the nails or screws were made out of. Jesus made all of creation and he sustains it by his word. Soak into that for just a moment. Sustains it by his word. And then we look at Hebrews, we look at verse two and we'll look at uh, verses seven and eight here in a moment, but in verse 2, we read, God appointed Jesus heir of all things. God put all things subject to him, subject to him. And we skim down to verses 7 and 8. It says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So jumping back to verse 6, we'll cap it off with this, this power resume by pointing out 
that the Son is superior to the angels and has a name that is superior to theirs as well. Such a powerful name, such a powerful resume, very impressive. But sometimes powerful people are not thrilled at working normal jobs. Can you imagine that? People who are powerful, who have all the right resumes, we would probably reject them and call them overqualified, get a different job that's more on your level. They're not interested in normal jobs. They come in, what maybe they will do, instead of being a maintenance person in a, in a building, so they come over and they, they take, actually take over the place. That's how powerful they are. They buy out whole companies and then they obtain total managerial oversight. They might have some advisors, but that powerful person is where the buck stops. All the final decisions rest with them. We might refer to this type of business model as a hostile takeover. And while Jesus did come to take over, it was not so hostile of a takeover. When Christ came, he laid aside his omnipotence. That's the O word in Noel that we're looking at. Last week was nativity for N, and then O is omnipotence, is all-powerfulness. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7, uh, give us one of the most confounding yet beautiful descriptions of what happened behind the scenes as God became man. It says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And as we observed last week, Jesus was not born to a royal family or in a royal palace. He was born in a stable. Yet, heavenly hosts sang life-changing birthday songs, as we looked at last week. His mother and his relative, Zechariah, sang prophetic songs of hope and faith of what Christ would do and what God would accomplish through him. Even as a baby, his existence, he was so powerful. I mean, you ever know a baby to be so powerful that he can just turn the whole world around? Most houses do get flipped upside down by a baby, but check this out. His existence was taken as a threat. King Herod was concerned that, his, that this prophesied child would take his throne, his power. And because of this, Herod ordered the death of all male children two years old and younger in Bethlehem. It was only because God's intervention and Joseph's obedience that the Holy Family escaped to Egypt and avoided Herod's wrath. Christmas is not usually a time that we talk or at least like to dwell and think about death, dying, and sacrifice. However, my friends, without Christ's coming, there could be no sacrifice, no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus showed great power as he proved something about his life. You know what that was? You can't take it from him. Why is that? Well, it's because Christ laid down his life. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18 reads, The reason my father's, Jesus talking, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes, my, takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, 
and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I was reflecting on this verse and I thought to myself, martyrs, martyrs understood this to be true. This very true statement, when you lay down your life, you are in complete and total control over it because you have been the one who gave it. Nobody took it from you. When their life was threatened, they chose death over recanting their faith in Jesus Christ. If you want more information about martyrs and people who are persecuted, uh, you can check out Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. Isaiah 53 is very influential in the oratorio. Again, I'm going to reference last week if you missed it. Uh, Last week we talked about the oratorio, Handel's Messiah. And we heard a clip from that in the message last week as well. And the verse from Isaiah 53, verses four through six, six, says this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is power. Talking about power. There is power in laying down your power. There is power in choosing not to retaliate, not to fight back. There is power in taking others' burdens upon yourself. Romans 5, 8. But the Lord, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What you and I have to realize is Christ was the only one who can and could have done this. He displays the example of sacrifice, of unconditional love, of power through the laying down of power. But he is the only one who could have saved the world because he was and is God's only son. Coming to a close today in today's message. Just recapping, last week, again, we looked at nativity, the birth story, the celebration, the happy birthday songs that we celebrate at Christmas time, the N in Noel. The O stands for omnipotent. What is all this powerful, what does the all-powerful do with all that power? And today we looked at Jesus, the Messiah, and his power resume. Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels. He's the omnipotent God who humbles himself and took on the form of man. He laid down his life to save the world. Jesus had the power to lay down his power. He subjected himself to a shameful death on the cross for you and for me. He took on the form of mortal man in order to accomplish the aforementioned sacrifice. But what was going on in the background? As we conclude today's message, let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to flip over to that, verses 14 through 16. I'll give you a moment to do so. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne in grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the high priest. He's the high priest who is relatable. He's human. He understands us firsthand. He experienced it. He was born, he lived, he died. And at the same time, that high priest, Jesus, is still very powerful. He is the son of God. The world had a sin problem. Jesus was the only one who could do anything about it. Jesus, the all-powerful Son of God, did not stay dead. There's some good news for us today. No, he rose from the dead. He conquered the foe that defeated every mortal, death itself. But raising from the dead, he overpowered it and gave us the hope of the resurrection in him. He ascended into heaven to prepare a place for you and for me. Before we even knew him, before we ever loved him. One question you need to think about this week is, what will you lay down in response to him? We think of this as followers of the Messiah. It will not have, death will not have the last word on us either. So let's, as we, as we wrap up today's message, each one we're considering this phrase from the song Noel, Come and see what God has done. Last week, we saw what God has done in the nativity, in the birth of a baby, in a humble place. Given what has God done today in this omnipotence, he's given his all-powerful son. And that son laid down that power and laid down his life for you and for me before we ever knew him or loved him. One question we can think about, what are we going to do in response? Maybe you need to be right. Maybe you feel like you need to be right all the time. Maybe you have influence with others. Maybe your desires are for praise, your reliance on money and stuff. Maybe there's something else. These are things that you and I might need to consider lying down, laying down this week. That first one hits hard, the need to be right all the time. We might not have all the money, but we definitely have stubbornness behind us. Maybe there's something else. What has God done? He sent his son, his all-powerful son. What will we do in response? What will we lay down? No one took Jesus' life. He laid it down. And in his power, he picked it back up again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the ultimate power that has saved us and has given us new life. We pray that we would continue to live in that new life each and every day. Encourage us, we pray. But help us to see what we need to lay down Is it our stubborn, proud heart? 
our need to be right all the time? Is it our desire for praise, for human accolades, our influence with other people, our reliance on stuff? Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts and help us this week to lay it down on the line for you. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.